0: Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Andy teaches a sermon out of Acts chapters 22 and 23 titled, Facing Pain. Obeying God always leads to life. Sometimes the path towards life is also painful, but God is never absent in your pain. God will use that grief, that loss, that terrible wound to reach more people with the hope of his love than you could ever imagine. God doesn't allow pain for this purpose. Pain just happens. We live in a broken world, but God does take the pain and transform it for his good. You have a mission, you have a purpose. Don't let pain stop you. Don't let discomfort stop you. You're not a doormat. You can speak up, you can have boundaries, but don't you dare lose heart when the pain comes. Face your pain with hope, face your pain with faith, face your pain with prayers, face your pain knowing that God will use
1: it for his good. Good morning, friends, good morning. Uh, I'm so glad that you guys are here, and I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Every single week, we remind ourselves what we believe, and we we declare together uh, what we believe, and so this week is no different. Um, We believe three things as a church. Number one, there is always hope beyond our brokenness. We're going to talk a lot about that today, about what it looks like to get back up after we fall down, what it looks like. To keep on pursuing God no matter how much pain we experience in life, what it looks like to hold on to Him and to the purpose that He has for our lives when other people make terrible decisions and when we make terrible decisions. And that's Acts 22. And there is hope. Brothers and sisters, there's hope. Amen? Amen. Second, we're called to trust in our risen Savior. Uh, Trust does not mean perform. Trust does not mean pretend. It means being honest with where we are with God. And uh, we're a church where if you were hoping that you found the perfect Christian community, um, you wrecked it the moment you walked in the door uh, because you and I are not perfect. Amen? Amen? The journey that we're on is trusting Jesus, which is being honest and vulnerable and listening and then choosing to love. And then third, we believe that we're called to bring restoration. So Don Ann is going to take uh, the change for a dollar bucket this week, and we're so excited for you, Don Ann, and and uh, you know Bill and Don Ann have been coming coming a couple of months, but they got to raise their hand. And so there's no requirement to do restoration work. You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to have your life perfect. I mean, just ask Don Ann about Bill, and she'll tell you all the stuff, right? <laughs> Uh, You know, so we we do the work of restoring our hearts and the hearts of people around us right where we are right now. You are qualified because the Holy Spirit is with you and God loves you. Amen? Amen? Each one of these truths of hope beyond our brokenness and trust in our risen Savior and restoration for our community comes with a choice. Faith is actually involves your will, your choice. So we declare this together, choosing together as the body of Christ to follow Jesus another day. So can we choose loudly today together? Amen? Let's choose. Let's read this together. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. And I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Amen? Amen? So we are in the book of Acts. We've been in the book of Acts for, I don't know, seven years. And uh, we are, we're, we'll be done in about a month, a month and a half. And um, so we're in Acts 22. And in Acts chapter 22 is, the, is the, the shift in which the book of Acts then starts talking about the last couple of years of Paul's life. Up to this point, Paul has been on... Well, the church has been born in the book of Acts, and uh, all of a sudden, the church is growing like crazy. There's been persecution. It's been nuts. And by the time you get to Acts chapter 22, it's it's about 27, 28 years after the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Does that make sense? And so at this point in the life of Paul and the disciples, Already disciples have died, right? Peter's already been killed at this point, crucified upside down in Rome. We have multiple disciples that have given their lives to Jesus, the original, 12. Um, Paul now is returning to Jerusalem, which is super, super dangerous. I don't know about you, but like if you're like a Seahawks fan in the middle of like 49ers in the playoffs, like it's, it's not safe. Um, It's not a safe space uh, for me here. And uh, so in all seriousness, Paul returning to Jerusalem, uh, they they wanted him dead a long time ago for betraying uh, their people. And so last week we talked about how as Paul uh, is saying goodbye to his friends, he's got one last night to say goodbye to his loved ones. One of the kids falls asleep, falls from a third-story window and dies, and Paul raises him back to life. He tells his friends in Ephesus about how to repent and have faith. We talked about how repentance is literally how your heart gets healed so that you don't have to try and be your own savior or another person's savior. You literally rescue it out of your own codependency because you're sacrificing being God in the act of saying, I'm not. Does that make sense? We talked about having faith, but having faith where we're actually coming to Jesus with the things that we need. We're bringing people to Jesus rather than trying to fix them on our own. And we talked about how Jesus is worthy and other people are worthy of every sacrifice to love them well. So I have a question for you this morning. Are you willing to go through pain if you know it will help? Oh, you say that so quick. (laughs) Are you willing to go through pain if it helps you? 40% are mildly convinced. Are you willing to go through pain if it helps another person? Oh, more. Are you willing to go through pain if it helps your dog or your cat? No, No, somebody said. (laughs) Are you willing to go through pain for the sake of people who break your heart? There's some murmurs on that one. Are you willing to go through pain if you're not in control of the outcome? That's, that's what Paul faces. He's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going, he has no idea. He has no idea what's going to happen. And everybody's worried for him. So do I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts today? Because yes. the one thing that we all have common on this earth is that none of us escapes without pain. And we all face difficult situations in our life, difficult relationships, difficult dynamics, and we have choices. We have a choice in those moments. When things don't go our way, when things are really hard, when other people make decisions that just wreck your life, when you make decisions that have wrecked your life and now you're on the other side of that aftermath or you're about to face that aftermath, will you still trust and follow Jesus? It's hard, but that's what we're going to talk about today. So do I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts, Lord Jesus. Awaken our souls. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place. We bind up in silence everything opposed to Jesus that's here now. Not today, devil. Get out in Jesus' name. This is your time and your space, Jesus. Because these are tender things that we're going to talk about. So, Lord, help. And all God's people said? Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 21, this is where we left off last week. Would you read with me? Again, Luke loves sailing for some reason. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria. This is where modern-day Tel Aviv is, by the way, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local taco shop, and stayed with our friends for a week. And these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that what? That Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. First, notice that Paul and Luke and whoever else is with them has finally made it to basically the eastern shores of the Mediterranean Ocean and they're on mainland now, okay? Here's the map of where we are. Paul has gone through his goodbye tour in Greece that's on the left, now modern-day Turkey, which is the region of Galatia, uh, and he's made his hop, skips, and a jumps down there. Now he's past Cyprus, which was on their left. That's the big island in the middle. And then now they're, they they've landed in ancient Syria, which is in modern-day Israel. That's Tel Aviv, and they're about to make it down to Jerusalem. Does that make sense? Okay. Look at verse 4 again. We went ashore, found the local believers, stayed with them for a week, and these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. What are they saying? Don't go. Wait, what's going on here? Paul has just spent almost two years gathering offerings from all these different churches all across the Mediterranean Ocean to give to poor widows in Jerusalem, and all, those, all his friends who live in Tel Aviv are like, nah, don't do that. Paul has been on a journey and a mission from God, and now at the very last step, all of his friends are saying, no, don't go. So Paul and Luke get back on the boat. They're going to head south down the coast of the Mediterranean towards Jerusalem, and they're going to make their way inland to North Lake Tahoe. Does that make sense? The Sea of Galilee is the exact same size and shape as Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is about 10% bigger, okay? And Caesarea is on the north side. Does that make sense? They're going to Auburn, right? Let's read. We went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist. Verse 10. Read with me out loud. Several days later, a man named Agabus, let's just call him Agi, okay, <laughs> who also had the gift of prophecy arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Just hold on. Picture this for a moment. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Can I borrow your belt just for a second? What about my pants, Augie? Don't worry about it, right? Then Augie doesn't bind Paul's hands and feet. He binds his own hands and feet. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If your friend was like at a dinner party, like, hey, nice belt. Can I borrow that for a second? And sort of tying himself up with it, you'd be like, "What? what was in your drink, man? Slow down. Like, just have some bread, you know, like... Want some water? Like, what's going on here, right? Then he said, quote, read with me, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. You are looking for a sign from God? Mm-hmm. Here it is. So clearly, Paul is getting warned. Bad things are coming in Jerusalem. Notice the difference between what his friends earlier said and what Augie says to him. Clearly, his friends in Tel Aviv or Tyree get word from the Holy Spirit that Paul is going to face serious pain in Jerusalem. Yes? Yes. That's why they say. But what does Augie say? Does Augie say, don't go? What does Augie say? You, you, you're going to face hardship, you're going to face difficulty, you're going to be bound. He simply conveys the message quite dramatically. But notice what Luke does next. This is Luke who's writing this in Acts. He's literally writing down, this is what he says about what he did. Verse 12, when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. We don't want to see our friends and family get hurt. We think pain is bad. Trouble is bad. Difficulty is bad. So the solution is, avoid it. Don't go. Don't do that. And that's understandable. The Bible's full of amazing instructions about how to choose life and avoid death. Read Deuteronomy 28. It's an amazing list of instructions. Read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. You'll read what pain is brought when we entertain resentment and judgment and arrogance and lack of faith. God wants to give you life, not death. Someone say amen. Amen. So shouldn't we try and avoid pain? Sure. Maybe. Depends. We have entire Christian denominations where... All they're dedicated to is to keep you out of pain and out of sickness and out of poverty. And they give you a message that says like this, if you pray, more importantly, if you give, then God will bless you with health and wealth and riches and vitality. And then we'll build a stadium and tell all the people about that and all wear cheap suits. And then what's the message? If you face pain in your life, if you face difficulty in your life, that must mean then you're not praying or giving or having enough faith. Now I was a hospital chaplain in Philadelphia, I would walk into a person's room, I'll say, "Why do you think you're here?" And they would always say because God is punishing me. That's that thinking. That if I face difficulty in my life, if my body breaks down, if I suffer any way in my life, that it must be my fault. Now, we all know when it's our fault, when we've made choices for rebellion, for disobedience, for selfishness, for entitlement, and we get wrecked. And then the people that we love get wrecked. Yes? I read all of your email every week. But then we read how Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, take up your cross daily. Wait a minute, what? I thought God wanted us to not be in pain. Now he's, invi- he's asking us to take up our cross? I mean, this is after he told Peter... Hey, Peter, I'm going to go down to Jerusalem, and I'm going to go die. And and then Peter says, Oh, Jesus, that's a terrible idea. You know, like, we could just open up a website, and you could stay here and safe, and their message would get out, and it'd be great, we'll do podcasts, and it'll be fantastic. And then Jesus gives Peter a nickname that he will remember for the rest of his life, and it's not grumpy, and it's not sleepy, and it's not dopey. What is it? Satan. As in, get behind me, Satan. Dang. Don't get that nickname from Jesus. (laughs) What is Jesus doing here? What what is the Holy Spirit up to? Clearly the Holy Spirit is warning Paul, you're about to face some serious trouble in Jerusalem. And then you have Augie who says, you're going to face trouble in Jerusalem. And then everybody else says, you're going to face trouble in Jerusalem. And then they add their own opinion about what Paul should do. And that is, don't go. What's Paul's response? But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Look, there's... um, there's decisions that we've made in our lives that are going to just cost us. It's just the way that it is. Paul lived for 25 years as a rabbi, and man, he, he killed a lot of Christians. And he knows that the consequences of him going back to Jerusalem for the sake of his people will be that he'll get hurt. And you and I know that there's just some things that we've done and some things that our parents have done or our family members have done or our spouses have done or our friends have done that we're just gonna have to live with that pain. It's just part of life. And we could say, no, don't go. I'm just gonna pull the ripcord and parachute out and just avoid it all and run. You will regret that for the rest of your life. To face the pain, to stay where you are, to love. Oh man, that takes so much courage and so much faith. Luke writes, when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Christians are, are really, and really, this is all religious people. It's not just Christians, but we've heard it from other Christians where they'll tell you, you know what? God told me to tell you. you ever, have anybody ever encountered that one? I love it. In men's Bible study this week, Doug, I love Doug to pieces, uh, uh, Doug in his Missouri accent said, well, when we had the restaurant um, in down south Uh, I had an employee come back to me and say, "Uh, Doug, Jesus told me to rehire you or to rehire me. I'm supposed to work for you again. And and I told him, well, Jesus didn't tell me that. Hit the road. (laughs) People will use God talk and religious talk and religious language to tell you what to do. Let me tell you something. God is always going to tell you what to do first. Does that make sense? God, God, the Holy Spirit, will always lead you. As it says in James, when anybody lacks wisdom, ask God. Ask your Heavenly Father. He'll give it to you in abundance, right? And then when another person says, hey, have you ever thought about this? Or, hey, would you consider this? Or, I feel like God is saying this Right now in your life, you'll go, wow, that's the same thing that he told me. That's called confirmation. As opposed to, God told me to tell you to tithe 90% to my personal Bank of America account. That's just called manipulation. You understand what I'm saying? So how does it benefit Luke and all Paul's friends for Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Well, I would imagine that after watching Paul get stoned twice, that's where they bury you up to your waist or tie you to a pole and then they throw rocks at you till you're dead. And then having watching him have have his arms strapped above his head and the cat of nine tails rip all the skin off his back just like Jesus went through, twice. I would imagine that this Paul guy with broken teeth and broken noses and messed up shoulders and scar tissue everywhere and CTE and concussions and he's got the Paul is one beating away from dying. What do Luke and all his friends want? They don't want him to die. Of course it's understandable. What's wrong with that, Andy? It's not bad logic. It's just terrible theology. Did you know that God's kingdom is not a democracy? We don't like vote on whether or not to follow God. Right? We don't serve a king who suggests. We serve a king who commands. We're not consumers of righteousness, we're slaves to doing the right thing and seeing his kingdom come and his will be done above our own because we know it leads to life every single time. You picking up what I'm putting down? When God says to be generous, be generous. Let's see if you can understand this equation, how God's kingdom work. When the king says to love, when the king says to forgive, even your enemies, we... Forgive. Why? Yeah, it's gonna be painful, it's gonna be difficult, it's gonna take every ounce of courage and all the community of this church, and it's gonna be hard sometimes, and it will be worth it. Because we've all tried to live life on our own, and that just means shipwreck. And you're thinking to yourself, is there somehow a middle ground where I can say yes to Jesus? Get the eternal heaven insurance policy and then kind of steer my ship close and maybe bump into stuff so I can get what I want, but then sort of head in the right direction. And really, what you're asking is can I avoid the pain of doing the right thing and actually obeying? You're asking is the pain worth it? And my response to you is ask your mom. Y'all had one. (laughs) Ask her. Mom, is the pain worth it? I tell that to my mom almost every birthday. (laughs) I was like, the worst pain you've ever had, I hope I'm worth it. We forget that you don't get a spring harvest without the cold of winter. We just want to skip right over that on the Central Coast. Ooh, it got down to 50. (laughs) Ooh. We forget that every muscle gain in a workout comes with the pain of tearing that muscle so it can grow. We forget that the ground is plowed and torn up in order for the seed that is planted to grow. We forget that healing comes when death is cut out. By the hand of the great physician or your doctor. We forget that labor is painful. Well, men do. Uh. <laughs> but men understand how painful labor is when you build something and we count that cost. We forget that repentance is painful, but it actually leads to life even though it comes through so many tears. We think pain is bad, and God thinks that pain is pain. God is never absent in your pain. God is always with you in your pain. Now, pain that leads to life, we're like, sign me up. Yes, I'm going to take a workout class. Yep, I will face God. A cold day if I can take a beautiful walk in the snow. Absolutely. You want me to feel absolutely terrible like I can never move a muscle in my body? Sign me up for that gymnasio class because afterwards you feel strong and you get stronger. Ask any person on staff who's worked out with Sherrod in the last six weeks and you've walked us, you've watched us like hobble along, right? This is like, what happened to you? And we just say one word, Sherrod, right? That's it. I know men that will face like literally sitting in freezing cold water with like like just barely above frostbite for the sole purpose of shooting a duck out of the sky, and they're like, sign me up, right? We will face the pain of sore feet and just cramped hands and financial ruin for the sake of shopping, Yeah. We will burn that credit card up. Let's go, right? We will face all kind of pain for things that we love." And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, Andy, but what about pain that just wrecks your life? What about pain that is just a wrecking ball and it just destroys you and the people that you love? Well, let's keep reading. Paul's going to head to Jerusalem and here in the city, he's, he's in the temple every day. He's helping people. He, he's loving people. He's caring for people, and then the unthinkable happens. Verse 27, read with me. Are you ready? Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. Rabbis from the same little area called Asia in western Turkey where, where Paul was for a while, those same rabbis that followed Paul from town to town, harassed him every step of the way, got him beaten half to death, stoned had a nine tails destroyed, those same rabbis are in Jerusalem at the same time that Paul is. Can you imagine that moment? Like, I know you growing up, if you ever got bullied, you did everything you possibly could to not get, have eye contact with him or her. And can you imagine if after successfully avoiding their horribleness for years then one day, you meet eye contact in that dark alley. It's horrible. My neighbor in, uh, growing up in Seattle once told me his son bought all of my uh, G.I. Joes. Uh, I, had, I had 237 of them. They were in an awesome collection. I uh, should have kept them. would have been a millionaire. Um <laughs> He was in the Moscow airport at 4 a.m. Uh, he was trying to walk the aches out of his body because his flight was canceled and there's nowhere to go in Moscow at 4 a.m. Uh, he was just stuck there and walking around. He's looking at other weary travelers and he sees one bleary-eyed guy with the New York Times newspaper open. And he thinks, oh, it's somebody who speaks English. And he walked and he approached and he said, uh, do you speak English? And the guy goes, yeah, I speak English. And they both realized, oh, my gosh, we're Americans. They're talking. What are you doing? Oh, we're here stuck. Where are you going? And he, the guy goes, well, I'm going back home. He's like, well, where's home? It's Seattle. And he said, my neighbor goes, I'm from Seattle. They're like, are you kidding? What are the odds that you're going to meet somebody from Seattle in a Moscow airport at 4 a.m. in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> right? Like, where are you from? It goes out of the U district. University, that's where I'm from. They're like, what street do you live on? 17th. Are you serious? That's my street. (laughs) My neighbor across the street met the guy that lived three houses down at 4 a.m. in the Moscow airport. Is that random? No. God had placed them there together, and they would later become great friends. God had placed them together because God will take any situation and any circumstance and use it for good, and the same goes for pain. The same goes for pain that's just pain, pain that just tears you apart, that seems meaningless and awful at the time. God will use that for good. God has not orchestrated that event (laughs) so that you will learn a lesson. We live in a broken world, amen? Amen. Anybody here going to make it out alive? We all die. That's the brokenness of the world. Anybody here made a bad choice? Let's try that again. The answer is yes. Anybody here made a bad choice? Congratulations, you've just wrecked other people as well. They've also suffered from your bad choices. We suffer from our own bad choices and from what other people do and the brokenness of this world and the fact that donuts cause fat, right? Amen? Right? Like the pinnacle of all the pain is that the 49ers and the Cowboys are in the playoffs right now. Awful, terrible, horrible. Okay. God is going to use all good things and all painful things and all meaningless things and all random things. He's going to use it all for your good. That's how good he is. What happens to Paul? The guys had been trying to kill him for all this time. They finally grabbed him. And they yelled, men of Israel, help us. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple, and he even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. Paul would say, you know what? The temple is just a metaphor that God... Now... He doesn't dwell in a single place. He now dwells in you. The sacrifice that you've been doing all this time, I mean barbecue is great, but really your sins aren't going to be forgiven because those ribs are delicious. Your sins are forgiven is because there's an actual substitute that's for you, not metaphorically, but literally. And it's Jesus. He's the sacrifice. And he beat the death that you so willingly chose. And now we don't need to sacrifice anymore. We need to rejoice in the one who sacrificed himself for us. It gets worse. Verse 30. Read this to me. The whole city was rocked by these accusations, and a great riot followed. Paul was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him. And as they were trying to kill him, word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. So they're literally kicking and beating the snot out of Paul. The chief of police, the commander of the Roman regiment, rushes down to figure out what in the world is going on. Half conscious, they grab Paul. They drag him back to the barracks to interrogate him. They don't realize now that Paul's a Roman citizen. Roman citizens that were afforded the reason why we are afforded a fair trial and the presumed innocence before we're guilty is because that's Roman law. We inherited that from Roman law. So they don't know Paul's a Roman citizen. If you weren't a Roman citizen, the Romans would treat you, they'd do whatever they wanted to you. Uh, and so Paul, this mob gathers around the police station, and Paul's like, Can I just speak to them in my native language? And they're like, Go ahead. And so he stands up and he says, "Men of Israel, in Hebrew," and all of the crowd hushes down. And 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 he starts telling the story about how he was a rabbi and and all the things and how about how he killed Christians. And then about how he got knocked off his high horse. He ends that story by saying this, verse 11. I was blinded by the intense light, had to be led by hand to Damascus to my companions. A man named Ananias lived there. He was a godly man, deeply devoted to the law and well regarded by all the Jews of Damascus. And everybody's like, yeah, I'm friends with Ananias on Facebook. I know the guy, he's a good guy. What's going on here? Ananias came and stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. And at that very moment I could see and then, wait, what's, Paul, what, what's the story that Paul's telling here? Pay attention. Then he told me, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and see, read, the righteous, the righteous one and? Spirit. Spirit. Oh, snap. That's Jewish code for the Messiah. So Paul, who there's this angry mob who wants to kill him because he's proclaiming Jesus is the Messiah. Now is standing with lip is torn, nose is broken again, mild concussion, black eye, three broken ribs. He would have never, ever, ever, ever been able to speak to a thousand Jews who hated him unless he had suffered pain in that moment. The mob was there to kill Paul, God brought Paul to save them. That's how God works. That's what God can do with pain that feels pointless at the time. God will use that grief and you'll use that loss and you'll use that terrible wound to reach more people with hope than you would ever be able to gather on your own. God doesn't allow pain so that He can do that. Pain happens because we live in a broken world. And God does something beautiful with it because He's good. You picking up what I'm putting down? God didn't wreck you so that you would learn a lesson. The world wrecked you. Someone wrecked you with their bad choice. You wrecked you with your bad choice. God, in His infinite mercy, is using all of those colors to paint a beautiful picture for your sake and for the people around you that need to see it. How does the mob respond? They repent, right? <laughs> next, next one. Oh, wait. Verse uh, 22. Almost. Next slide. There it is. Then they all began to shout, we love you, Paul. <laughs> when we give our lives to Jesus, what do they shout? Away with such a fellow. He isn't. This is just like the crowds in Jerusalem saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then they yelled and threw off their coats and threw their chonclas at him and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. What are they doing? They're proclaiming blasphemy. They're angry. They're mad. They hated what he said. Sometimes you're going to be put in the exact position God wants you. You're going to say the exact thing you're supposed to say. And what will their response be? They might just ignore you completely. I mean, you know what that feels like if you're a parent. Right? If we think back to when we were teenagers... Our parents, through tears, would say, just listen, and we were like, no. <laughs> we know that. We know that through the pain of our spouses, t- poor choices. We stayed faithful. They didn't. And that might be part of your story, that you took the pain, and you digested it, and you forgave, and you were faithful, and... You were kind and you were loving and you were good and still they, they chose wrong. Still they might not change. When, when we choose the path of personal growth, of loving a twit when they don't deserve it, of forgiving, of doing our best to love even when their bad choices still hurt, we're not in charge of the outcomes. In that pain, you will find Jesus sitting there with you because our God knows all about being faithful and loving even when we hurt him. And don't listen. There is a special place in heaven for you, all you who love well, even when you're in pain. So the mob is freaking out. The chief of police says, hey, why don't we just beat this guy with the cat of nine tails again? And... Um, Uh, We'll see if he can uh, answer questions then. Uh, It's a great tactic. It reminds me of my most favorite Gary Larson Farside cartoon. Have you ever heard this one? Uh, It goes like this. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Okay, stranger, what's the circumference of the earth? Who wrote the Odyssey and the Iliad? What's the average rainfall of the Amazon basis? And the other guy says, Bart, you fool. You can't shoot first and ask questions later. (laughs) That's what, that's what the chief of police was going to do, right? Let's just flog him, and then we'll figure out, uh, we'll sort out what's going on here. It's this amazing moment. The commander brought Paul inside, ordered him lashed with whips to make him, make him confess his crime. He wanted to find out why the crowd had become so furious. They lead Paul to the post where they tie his hands above his head. They take off the shirt that his mob has already half ripped off. And what do they see? They see Paul's back. It's like this scene in Glory when they're about to whip Denzel Washington's character. They see that Paul's back is already torn to shreds. Verse 25, when they tied Paul down to lash him. Now just put yourself in this moment. Paul's already beat up, and they've tied him down, and Paul just kind of turns his head and looks at the officer and says, Is it legal for you to whip a Roman citizen who hasn't even been tried? I can hear the tear in Paul's eye. I can hear the tenderness in his voice. He asks a question: Is it legal? Because It's not. And then the sergeant drops the whip literally and everybody starts freaking out and backing up and then the next day they're going to bring Paul in front of the Sanhedrin, but that's next week. We'll find out what happens next week. (laughs) This week is a staff... On with this, we told the stories of what Jesus has done among us this year, miracle after miracle after miracle, and they happened within so much of our pain. And that is a story of what it looks like to follow Jesus, that in the middle of our pain, even in the middle of our daily taking up our cross, God is going to do miracles in our midst. God is with you in your pain, and God loves you. And so we take a page from Jesus' book, and we pray through our pain, and we even find joy in the middle of it all, because we know that through the cross, God has redeemed every single thing. And when you look back on your life in heaven, you'll wish... I wish that I had moved forward with more hope, with more love, with more joy, knowing that even when this was difficult, even when it was awful, there was still going to be a way that God was going to redeem it all. So can I pray that for you today? Lord Jesus, I pray for joy and for hope and for life in each one of my friends here today. God, pain just is awful. It breaks us and tears us. And Lord, we we can't do it without you. Thank you that you never leave us alone, that you're always with us, that you adore us. And God, I pray for each person here, each one of their hearts, for all those who are just facing just such devastation in their life. God, I pray for hope. I pray for life. I pray for joy. I pray for wisdom. May be filled with love. And all God's people said. We have incredible food for you. Would you stand for the benediction? If you would like prayer this morning, feel free to come forward. We'd love to pray for you. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. Join us across the street for Table Talk if you'd like. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance, that's His delight in you, and give you peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Pastor Andy Rock is the senior
0: pastor Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 1040 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California.